You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Lewis, and I am the host of Love Period, a podcast produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. This is our fourth season, and in this one, we're thinking about how to reframe and reclaim Christian as a religion of love, as the religion of Rabbi Jesus. What about if we took it back to Jesus and took it back to love? What if we take it back to scripture that elucidates this beautiful movement of love and justice? Join us this season for beautiful conversations with folks across the spectrum to talk about what's love got to do with scripture and what scripture got to do with love. Today's guest is my friend, Madora Carter. She is a real estate developer, urban revitalizer, a strategist, a MacArthur Fellow, and a Peabody Award-winning broadcaster. Not only that, she's quoted on the walls of the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture in D.C. as saying, nobody should have to move out of their neighborhood to live in a better one, which is also the subtitle of her 2022 book, Reclaiming Your Community. She's a member of Middle Church, and she's my bud. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as we enjoyed having it. Majora, hi. Hey, Reverend Jackie, how you doing? <laughs> fine, 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 fine. I'm so glad to see you this morning. Exactly. People won't, can't see your smile, uh, but I can. And oh. it is a light. It is a light today. I'll oh. tell you what. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying yes to come and have a conversation with me today. I appreciate you. My absolute pleasure. I, don't, I was delighted to be asked. <laughs> Thank you. And let, let me ask you a question. Can you give me a little, can you give our listeners a little sense of your faith journey? Like I think of you as, as Madam Faith, but tell me about your faith journey. Oh, that's so funny because it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's weird because when I was a kid, like we didn't go to church at all until I was about, I mean, occasionally my parents would send us to Sunday school, just frankly, just to get us out the house. I, that's what I think. And, uh, but we didn't start going until I was um, almost in high school. And it was just like, what is going on here? But I really did, you know, it, it was never really, I never felt like connected to, to, to God. I mean, I felt more like it was a community of people that, that loved each other, but that the, the God that we worshiped was one to fear. Mm. And it really, like, I remember getting baptized because I was afraid I'd go to hell. Mm-hmm. And... Mm. If I'm being very honest with myself, that's what it was. And and then college came and that just was like, ah, okay, I don't want to do that no more. And I did not. <laughs> I did everything but. <laughs> where, did you go to, where did you go to college? Where did you go to school? I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. <laughs> like, no, I'm not yeah. doing that. <laughs> it was just like, there was none of that. And then it was also really weird. After you know, a few years after college, you know, I was actually married young um, in a not particularly well-advised uh, marriage. We were both too young. And it was just hard. It ended very badly. And I got met by a, another group of Christians who um, also kind of, you know, I felt like it was still based on more of a punitive God that, you know, was just like, if you don't do this, you're going down. I don't think until I became 
you know, frankly older and sort of like develop my own connection with God. And just like thinking that there, there must be, Jesus is really cool. Like, it's awesome. Right. <laughs> like, why is this? And it was just, those were just questions in my mind. I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't read the Bible that much, but I'd read a little bit enough to know that like the, the Jesus that I see there is different from what I've been taught. And then pandemic happens and a friend of mine was just like, yeah, my my mom goes to this, 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 this church and, you know, and she's got our friends there. And I was just like, maybe I should just do something because I'm just kind of, I could use something. <laughs> and I, and I was just like, naughty. I was, I was open, not, I was very open to anything it could be. And then I found you guys and was just like, wait, this is about people loving people on earth while we're here in the way that Jesus loved us all. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. And it's funny because I struggle, Jackie. I really do with feelings of, of worth and like I'm obviously doing everything wrong. Um, and I'm not, even though I know that I was knit together, you know, in my mother's womb by a God who made me and only me as like the handicraft, as a beautiful handmade jewel, right? But do I believe that all the time? No. And um, do I act that way most of the time? Absolutely not. But still going back when I would, and I live for those moments where it's just like, no, remember whose you are. And that's when it's like, okay. Tax you back to center? Does it tack you back? Yeah. Oh, totally. But then it's just like, like I realized so much of life is just such a spiritual battle. All of it is. I really do. Like, it's almost like that weird, you know, good angel, bad angel you'd see in cartoons. <laughs> I think that happens all the time. I, and, um, and in my work, um, which is, you know, I felt like I'd found like real meaning, you know, in, in the scriptures when, when Jesus would say, what are your two, you know, when the, um, I'm embarrassed to say, it's like, I can't remember if it was the Sadducee or the, or the, the, the Pharisee that was just like trying to catch Jesus. The big lawmaker is just like, hey, like, so which is the best, you know, tell me what's the most important law. And, and he was just like, yeah, there's actually only two. Um, <laughs> love God, love your neighbor. That's really all it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I do in my work. I want to love God. I want to love my neighbor. And like the, my work is the manifestation of that. And, uh, and sometimes it, it is really difficult to love your neighbor, um, even when you're trying to do great work um, for them <laughs> and with them. That is a whole truth. <laughs> a whole word. And I know you know that. Mm. Yes, I do. I want to make sure we get a good chunk of time to talk about your work, but let's stick with faith for just a second. And these, and these, these different gods, I'm going to say, right, the different gods that are in the world right now, gods in quote um, listeners, who are kind of battling for the soul of America as we do this podcast. Um, we're, we're like two weeks away from my father died and uh, a week away from his funeral. And Majora, I grew up in the church, uh, the first Air Force Base church, which was not a church, but was kind of a club. <laughs> but, it was a, but it was a nice club. You know, it was a very nice, like, I don't remember a lot of kind of beautiful spiritual energy in those places, but I remember safety and my mother singing solos, right? So that was a good thing. And when we moved to Chicago, I honestly, though I was about six or seven, I could feel the difference in the Air Force Base theology. It wasn't like 
let's go heal the world and, you know, let's do justice and love mercy. It wasn't that. But it also wasn't you are going to hell fear-based theology, which is what we got in Chicago right away at the first the first church. I would watch the ladies get the spirit. I would watch the doilies on their hair and skirts fly and the music was hot. But in the middle of it all was you are bad, you are wrong, you are a worm, you are disgusting, God doesn't like you, especially you girls. No, especially not the girls. You just little smelly selves, you're a little fast behind. Yeah. Like, oh, it was horrible. Temptresses. Temptress, yeah. And you can't speak in here Mm -mm. because you're kind of unclean and like, oh, it was, I could feel the heat of that. And then found a Presbyterian church with my mom and dad. They took us to a church that was middle-esque, grace, justice, a bell-bottom wearing black man with a big afro named uh, (laughs) Oliver Brown was like, we go to the jails, we feed the people, we Mm -hmm. handle our business. So today you and I are watching, all of us are watching the God of wealth, broken capitalism, hate the gays, design the whites to be white and better, right? Right. The environment is, don't fix it because we're going to heaven soon or all of it's a hoax versus conversations about love and justice. Where do you see the most conflict between these two kinds of theologies? And, and where do you, find, do you find any hope, even in the myths? Well... I mean, yes, the fact that there is so much conflict going on is um, the thing that where I find, you know, the most reasons for hope, you know, is that I am seeing more folks within the faith actually going. Um, dominion doesn't mean lording over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, you know, yeah, God gave us that, but it, it actually means more along the lines of how are we stewarding this amazing creation? And, and the creation is not just, you know, the birds and the, you know, the, um, you know, things that, that slither across the, the, the planet or in the water. It's more about how are we living, you know, connected, you know, with our, with our fellow man. And so I guess I have been really kind of encouraged by, in particular, the number of, of folks that, that I meet who, at, who do the kind of work that I do, which is all about building community, that encourages me to, to see, see them, that they see that their faith is something that is moving them in the direction of like, how do you build community in places where, you know, especially in the places where we're told it's not worthy, like just by virtue of being what it is, whether it's a, you know, poor, you know, an inner city, a Native American reservation, you know, a uh, um, even poor white towns where there once was um, industry and even white folks were feeling like, you know, they, they had it all together. And then suddenly it's just like, you, you may be white, but you're not a part of the class that actually rules this world. And they discovered that real quick. And that's what encourages me. Because if I, if honestly, if I took the whole big picture in, and when I do that, and I do do that sometimes, that's when it gets like so hard to take that it, it feels like it cripples me. And I, and I can't afford that. I can't afford that. So I really do have to focus on the, the, the things and the people that I know are just getting caught trying to make things different. And because I feel like if we are consistently trying to boil the ocean, 
we're not going to get there. We do have to focus on the here and now and find, you know, goodness and, and strength in that because that's what feeds that. Honestly, that's what feeds me. Yeah. We can't boil the ocean. I was struck by your Psalm 139 uh, uh, hook at the beginning of our talk. Even though I know you said I'm wonderfully knit in my mother's womb, uh, even though I know I'm awesomely and wonderfully made, right? There can be times if we aren't able to focus that the overwhelm of the ugly, I think, gets inside us. Yeah. And therefore, and therefore we don't believe totally. the truth of our beauty and fabulous godness, you know, image of godness, right? Yeah, you won't. You just, it's just, and that's why you just gotta, I, I find if I'm not, like, recognizing that I was knit together in my mom's womb. And so if I'm not taking care of myself, like all of it, like if I'm not working out, if I'm not reading, you know, getting spiritual food, then I'm a, the biggest hot mess. And it, it only takes like a day or two and a day or two. And it's just like, and I literally, I feel like a different person, somebody I don't want to be. But I, you know, I can fake it because, you know, you have to, like being a, a semi-public figure. <laughs> um, you know, I can't afford to not feel like, oh, I, I have to show, a, I put a certain face out there even though I'm exhausted or I'm feeling completely you know, attacked in a bunch of different ways. I still have to be the one kind of helping people see that, you know, hope's not lost if, we're, if we try to win for communities like ours. You know, I, yeah, I can't even imagine what Jesus must have felt like. And I mean, obviously, it, you know, he's God and he knew everything that was, was going to happen, but still had to <laughs> love up on people, um, knowing that they were going to betray him in, in the most awful, awful way. And that makes me obviously really sad, but also it encourages me because I'm like, but look what he did, you know, and that's, <laughs> and that's our model, you know, because he obviously rose again and not only rose again, like made it so that the rest of us could too. Oh yeah. Oof, preach, preach, Majora. <laughs> I, I do think that um, the model of, of, of the Jesus that we know to be outsider, um, marginalized, uh, poor, itinerant, I, I say Afro-Semitic because all the Jews are Afro-Semitic. Yeah. Come on, people. I know. Um, I know some believe that, but do how many? Lots of people don't believe that. That I, rocks their world. I know. I know. <laughs> but rocks the world. Wouldn't it be great if, I mean, I think if we could just sit down and think about that and just have a real conversation, just to be like, like, let's just, let's just pretend. Let's just, you know, let's just, let's just think maybe, you know, I, I wonder if people would, what, how it would change things to just like let it sink in for a minute. I don't know. I think it would have changed the whole world if the Jesus that got evangelized, the one that got taught, if, if, the, if the spread of Christianity had really you know, taken root in Northern Africa, which where it was, and really at the same time there wasn't like conquest of Africa, that the Jesus we would have been teaching and preaching would have been looking like you and me, more browner, kinkier hair, um, rougher, you know, rougher, uh, not peacenik with the peace signs and the blonde hair, but just what, what would have happened if that Jesus had been in the minds of folks when they encountered the indigenous people on our land? 
or it, or fat Jesus had been in the mind when they went to Africa, like, oh, free labor, right? Or the way we interred Japanese people or, you know, the way we, all of that, a whole worldview shift. If the person of Jesus get God in ourselves more deeply as somebody like us, mm-hmm. brown outsider, as opposed to empire blesser. Yeah, empire bless. Empire, that is empire the funny. <laughs> what? You want to kill those people for their land? Have at it. Yes, we're going to create manifest <laughs> destiny. I, that, exactly. Oh, my God. That painting still kills me. Oh, my God. It's like, seriously, someone, this, of course, it cannot just came out of the minds of the, of the artists. It came out of, like, the whole culture of, like, no, this is who we are. Oh, it was just. It's a mess. <laughs> I know. And then I wonder why. You know, I, I don't wonder why I go through what I go through. Um, I really don't. But you do go through it, Majora, as a, you know, so people know an accomplished, an accomplished young-ish woman who has pioneered this incredible development of real estate and people and projects <laughs> that says our people are valued and our people are loved and you don't have to run away from home to have a great life. Talk, talk about your work and how did you get into it? So I am a urban revitalization strategist and real estate developer. And um, I actually got my start uh, professionally in this work as a um, environmental justice you know, uh, project-based environmental justice activists because we work to build projects that would change the environmental and economic quality of life you know, within my community, which is specifically in the South Bronx. And what was really interesting was that I was a kid who grew up in the burning days of the South Bronx. It's like we were like literally the poster child of urban blight. And honestly, it was sort of like that that space, you know, when there was financial disinvestment, landlords were torching buildings to collect insurance money. We lost like 60% of the population in this community. I mean, it was, it looked like Europe, after, in particular London, after it was bombed. I mean, it was just like after, in World War II. And I, that's what I grew up with. Hip hop came out of that, like, you know, amazing, you know, culture comes out of these, these, these kind of places as well. But it was honestly the place where it's like, you just... The smart kids, we were taught to measure success by how far we got away. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it that a smart kid. I was reading when I was three, and I know that because when I was four years old, I remember literally sitting at the kitchen table reading my Christmas cards to my mom when I turned four. So I was just like, I was good, you know, whatever. And um, it could could do all sorts of fun things. But so it was just like, I was a smart one. So it was like, you're going to get out of here. And so brain drain was real. And so, but when I realized, and it wasn't until after I got home. Um, I just went, to, went away to college. I only moved back in with my parents because I needed a cheap place to stay when I started graduate school. It was a horrifying time for me, utter defeat, because it was just like, you know, I wanted to stay with my parents because it was like my mother was an excellent cook, <laughs> basically, <laughs> but she really was. Um, but other than that, I was like, as far as I was in my mind, I was grown. And here I was like having to live with mommy and daddy. And, and it was just the worst. And it was like, I hated my neighborhood. And, but I got only re, I honestly can say reintegrated into my own neighborhood when I met someone who had started an arts project around here, who was doing this amazing work. And he kept talking about it. And I was just like, 
oh my God, that sounds amazing. Turns out it was two blocks away from my home. And, <laughs> and there was this amazing, because I spent no time in my own neighborhood at all. And it was just like, I didn't want to be around here. There was no, there was like, nobody's here. Nothing's here. No, it turns out that there was this like whole, like this, this, this spot became this amazing place where all these artists hung out. And I was just, and I happened to be one of them. So I was like, yo, I'm good. That's where I'm going to chill. And around that same time, that's when I discovered that the, our city and state were planning on building a huge waste facility on our waterfront. And then I realized that our community had already handled about almost 40% of the city's commercial waste. It was bound to, it was about to get more. And that's when it hit me, you know, and maybe I also realized, you know, thank you to God, because that education that I had and the distance that I'd had for so long, literally, you know, helped me see the world in a completely different way. And I was just like, oh, I see what's happening here. This is a poor community of color. And this is and politically vulnerable, and that's why this is happening. And and I felt like, oh, I don't have to stick around, obviously. But I felt, and I know this was a spirit because I certainly wasn't going to do it. You know, I felt pulled. I mean, literally, it was just like, what else am I going to do? It didn't even occur to me to do anything except work to help my community be, see itself as as not the way the repository for all the things that wealthy white neighborhoods could afford to avoid. But how do we, you know, show ourselves for the beautiful things that we are? And since I was an artist, I mean, yeah, I worked on the solid waste management plan part, but I felt like my skills were more in showcasing like our community for the beauty that it had and and could have more of because they believe me, there were some things that were horrible. So I worked on transforming dumps into parks. Um, we did art, you know, public art projects. Um, I did a, a green collar job training and placement systems that was still one of the best in the country because we worked on developing, you know, relationships with employers and doing like really strategic training to help folks, many of whom who honestly never had a job before, or if they had a job, it was not within the legitimate economy. And, uh, but getting them to the point where they saw themselves as like agents of their own, you know, power and, and grace and just like, and, you know, they kept their jobs. But all of that really pushed me into thinking more about the neighborhood itself and how it was all, we were always like fighting, you know, from like being reactionary. And, and as opposed to like, why aren't we developing and designing the community on our own? you know, from a real estate development perspective. And so now we're working on developing actual real estate projects and economic development projects that do the kind of things that we know people leave our community in order to, um, in order to experience. Because when, you know, think about, you know, we, we, we both have roots in the South, right? And uh, there was uh, one of the things that, you know, my, my father's father were, and parents were, were enslaved. And, but there was always this thing, you know, where folks were just like wanted to move, you know, to places that, you know, that allowed them, you know, to be the best at their best selves. And so, the, so we often don't think about the unintended consequences of integration. You know, the fact that when people could afford to move wherever they wanted, you know, ra racial, racially segregated, but economically diverse communities, we lost that as a, as a consequence of integration. And we still see the impact of that, especially in the black community. Uh, we see it in other, you know, communities as well, but it's, 
when we lose the ones, the people in our communities that actually are the, often the ones who can create more access to, to cap, that have more access to capital, that are, that, that are, could be entrepreneurs that are doing, that are reinvesting money into their own community, we lose generational wealth in those communities. And we're not setting up the conditions for people to see that that's even possible. But someone else is benefiting from those neighborhoods. And that's why we're working in the real estate field and with a, with a very specific focus on working on supporting home ownership, but also um, creating opportunities for um, you know, people to see this, their own communities as places in which they want to stay in and build, whether businesses or homes you know, in, within those neighborhoods. And it has been a struggle, <laughs> but it's also been the highlight of my life. <laughs> I'm so, so inspired by the work you do. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avett, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. It seems to me the living out of our of our faith, the living out of the belief that we are created in the image of God, um, that we are, um, you know, therefore called to partner with God in the in the healing of the world, in the tikkun olam, our Jewish friends would say, and in the furthering of love. Period. Right? Like uh, love God, love neighbor, love self. Like love. Period. And that the, that theological uh, centering for you. Um, then you're able to create ripples of opportunity. So folks who would have, could have, low self-esteem, feelings of shame, feeling of not belonging, not belonging. Not belonging. Not belonging because the world says this isn't the, this is not the marker of beautiful and success. It's like get here, get out. I I love the reversal, the intention of your work to to have people know you don't have to leave home to live in a beautiful place. You don't have to leave yourself, your black, beautiful, brown, beautiful, indigenous, beautiful self to be shiny in the eyes of God and the world. No, and that's and that's challenging to a lot of people. And, you know, one of the things I realized that um, moments like this, I'm like, I don't want to say I suffer <laughs> because because I don't think I suffer at all from being black and female or born, you know, in, in you know, very poor, um, you know, circumstances. But, you know, I know that that is all held against me. And at times, the, you know, I, especially, you know, right now I'm going through, you know, an, an, an incidence where it, I'm feeling 
like the kind of anti-Black female, you know, misogynoir that is just, it, it can feel utterly overwhelming. But can I read you one of the scriptures that, that actually yeah. has like kept oh, me so, so close? Um, so this is actually Psalm 119, 76 to 80. This is the message version. Um, With your own very hands, you form me. Now breathe your wisdom over me so I can understand you. When they see me waiting, expecting your word, those who fear you will take heart and be glad. I could see them now, God, that your decisions are right. Your testing has taught me what's true and right. Oh, love me. And right now, hold me tight, just the way you promised. Now comfort me so I can live, really live. Your revelation is the tune I dance to. Let the fast-talking tricksters be exposed as frauds. They tried to sell me a bill of goods, but I kept my mind fixed on your counsel. Let those who fear you turn to me for evidence of your wise guidance and let me live whole and holy soul and body so I can always walk with my head held high. Just so I can walk with my head held high so others Just can so see I it. Can. Yeah, yeah, others can see it and be like, hmm, what's that? Oh. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's it. That's it. How did that scripture find you or how did you find it? I might have been going through like, um, like just absentmindedly going through a devotional, you know, because when I get, when I'm really not, because now I remember when I'm really not in a great place, um, I was, you know, I'll just be sort of absent-minded about how I, and I'll literally like find a devotional, like pick it, something and just go, okay, fine. And that was, happened to be it. And, um, you know, I immediately cut and pasted and sent it to Tanya, um, you know, who was, a, who was also a member of Middle Church, and I met her online. She lives out in Seattle. But it's what we're like, dear, dear friends. And, and, she was, and it was when I was going through some really bad stuff. And she's like, see? <laughs> see? And I'm like, I'm like yeah, I got it. Yeah. I do. But it's, it has been a really crazy moment to be in. But still, it just makes me go, I know where we are. I know whose I, who's I am. You have a friendship across the country through the digital church. Makes me smile. Yeah. Yep. Well, that psalm is really one of my favorites as well. You quoted my other one, Psalm 139, and um, that Romans 8, 28. Um, what shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? You know, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things high, nor things low, nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of God. I was I was saying that to my dad when he was dying, Majora. He was doing those things you do, you know, like, what did I do? To go, what did I do to deserve this ALS? You know, what did I do? I was like, dude, you didn't do anything to deserve ALS or to get ALS. God's not meeting out disease to teach you lessons. But the Bible says, ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah. There's a reason for those theologies. Um that deal death as opposed to the ones that deal life. Right. And so how did he, how did he take that? Well, he, you know, daddy's super smart and was teaching Sunday school when he was you know, eight years old to teenagers. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, like all of us, I think, has his own canon, right? How we all have our, your Psalm 119, my 139, you know, the things that really hold us together, the texts we go to. But I think he was happy to, 
to think about interpretations of scripture that were from a hermeneutic, a lens of love and grace, as opposed to punishment and fear, which is where you and I started this conversation today, right? I mean, if you're if you're an ancient person that's Hebrew, and you live in, in the in the Middle East, and every time you turn around, somebody's coming to get you, Canaanites, Philistines, whoever they all are, just kicking your butt and raiding your land, and you know, like you you just are always, always, always under siege. The theology that would develop in that kind of context would be the nations don't love us, but God chose us, so we're going to be all right. Type right. Of right? Mm-hmm. I think that African the black church had a similar theological orientation. Uh, the nations hate us. We, they, are in, they have enslaved us. We are not going to get 40 acres and a mule, but God loves us. We're going to be all right. But then where did that, that, that's the thing that I don't understand, which is why it was so, I think, just a breath of fresh air to just go to a place where, you know, at middle where it was just about love. You know, where did that come from? If it's like, you know, yeah, we're not going to get our 40 acres. They're going to figure out ways to lynch us, you know, right. physically and, you know, emotionally. emotionally. Um, then, so how did it get to this point where it, it it felt more like it's still punitive. Like I do, you know, like post-traumatic slave disorder, I think is, is real. Like I just, but I don't fully understand it. I think that's a really good way to call the trauma of it. And I, I did, I, this is what I was, this is a girl, I got to preach my father's eulogy. That was interesting. And um, really was wanting to preach to him in the casket even, but to all the people around him who grew up like he did, he's 88 years old, who really think, well, remember that song where it says the sins of the fathers are, you know, like, so So it isn't that the words aren't there that could sh- shape us to think we're being punished. But I think human beings need to feel in control. And and so, you know, Corey's going to put these things in the, in the uh, notes in the podcast, but like Rabbi Harold Kushner's when, when bad things happen to good people. I read that book over and over again. He's a rabbi who had a son who was born with this debilitating disease that he was aging as soon as he was born. Mm-hmm. So by the time he was three, he had an old body. Mm. He only lived to be 14. Mm. And the rabbi is like wrestling with theodicy. Why are these bad things happening? What happened here? So I think just like Harold did, the, the book, the canon is God is still speaking. I should say that better. God is still speaking. So just like Rabbi Kushner was wrestling with why did this bad thing happen to me, the writers of the Psalms and in other places of the scripture were wrestling with why do these things happen to me. And I think we'd rather believe we failed or we didn't pray hard enough or there's something wrong with us than to think that the universe can randomly deliver suffering. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, psychologically, isn't it better to think I screwed up? I'm a worm. I, I'm so sorry I didn't do the right thing. God, thank you for kicking my behind like a mean parent so I get clear and do better next time. Is has gives me more control than thinking there is a loving God who allowed us to have a bad thing or, or, or gave us a bad thing, which I, none of which I believe that the God gave us a bad thing. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? It totally does. Huh. Because then that also, I mean, you could sort of extrapolate on that in terms of like, you know, why things like white supremacy, you know, are just bound to happen, you know, because 
you know, even though we'll, we might forget that there was, no, it was the federal government going, we're going to create redlining <laughs> so that, you know, black folks or anybody else we don't want, you know, doesn't have to, you know, will not have opportunities. But what we see, the manifestation of it is more simply just black folks never really getting anything. Because if you don't know, like, all that goes on behind it, then you then it's easy to sort of, like, make it up so that it, it benefits you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the writers of the Constitution, uh, you know, didn't have either of us in mind. And also, the, I would say the early shapers of theology didn't have either of us in mind. That the, so so the, the words that get passed along the most or resonate the most or end up in preaching, bad preaching the most, mm. is the words that justify the way the world is as opposed to the words that conjure up the way the world should be, could be. God, the way God, because should be, everybody has enough, right? Can you imagine the guns kill more children every year than anything else? Should be. You ought to be able to go to school, movie theater, grocery store, Target, dollar store, and just walk out. But if you create a world in which guns are worshipped and gays are loathed and, and race, racial hierarchy is some kind of way blessed by God, then this is the world we get. Mm. Not to be all downer about it. But no. <laughs> right? I mean, but that's the thing. We can be, that's why I think the small bites approach I take to, 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 to my work is so, just so much, I find so much more conducive to actually moving forward. <laughs> um, because it's just like, okay, what can we do? Because I was actually just in, in Jacksonville, not to date the, the program, it was, you know, the day of, um, you know, it's literally there, like a day after, you know, the gunmen like walked into, uh, you know, walked on the campus and then into a Dollar General and, and shot up and shot three people, killed three people. And I mean, it was, it was hard being in, in Florida because I kept thinking like, you know, is, how, was, how am I going to be treated down here? Am I going to get out alive? <laughs> and it's just like, I know I'm not, you know, people look like me are not like um, appreciated and loved, like legislatively legislatively like it's like getting to that point but again I got to spend some time you know with folks who were just like no this is I mean yeah you know guess what it could have been worse like we could have there was supposed to have been a huge conference that was happening there but it didn't like literally like that's why he targeted that day because it was supposed to be a thousand extra people on campus at that moment I can't even imagine. And it just made people feel like, nope, we got our work cut out for us, but guess what? We're going, we're going to keep going. And so seeing those things and listening to people who are literally trying to rebuild their communities block by block is just like, okay, you know, I, I can't. I just like the strength and the power and the compassion that goes into getting up every day and just going... I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do what I can, where I can, in the place I am. Yep. You know, Majora, that is it. I love Can't Boil the Ocean, and I love people doing what they can, where they can. Uh, uh, you're making me think about two things. One, that as we record this, it is the week that is, you know, Emmett Till killed, lynched, the people arrested and them acquitted, 
in September. But his mother, Mamie, how brave and bold, mm-hmm. how Emmett's murder galvanized a whole generation of young people who called themselves the Emmett Till generation who just kicked butt in the places they were, didn't try to boil ocean, but tried to take a cup and do something with it, a little bit of work to do something with it. The March on Washington, it's, it's, it's anniversary is this week, 60 years. And um, so like, again, people doing what they can do uh, in the ways that they can. So let's just, as we wrap a bit, which I don't want to, I want to have lunch and talk some more. Um, your book, Reclaiming Your Community, is so amazing. Remember, I got to talk about your book when it first dropped. Um, I feel like Reclaiming Your Community is Middle's signature project as well, and that our, and that our community is not just the people in the East Village or just the people in the Bronx or, or just the people in, you know, in New York, but our community is global. Yes, right? totally. And, and so just as a word of calling in to anybody who hears this, what would you say to listener number six who lives in a place where they feel left out and undervalued and like they don't matter. Is there a word of encouragement to say something to them as we wrap about how they do and how their faith and or our faith in them, you know, could change them? Yeah, I mean, you know, remembering whose you are, and I do, I have to say that a lot to myself and to other folks as well, but also knowing that the being able to to share and to do something, anything, um, you know, in service of showing love is that's how we reclaim our power and and showcase it, but also create the kind of healing that I think we really need to to experience on our own, but also, you know, give to each other because it's the grace that was given to us as well. I think that's that's really it, and and I, I say that to myself like every day, like even today, because I've got to say some some sort of hard things to somebody. <laughs> um, but but it's because I actually do care about them, and it's not they're not showing how like just how wonderfully made they are, and um, I hope a good word can help. I hope so, too. Uh, Majora, I'm so conscious that because of who you are in the world, the what you're doing in the world, that that there are darts and arrows and talons and mm. <laughs> <Yep>. rocks <laughs> thrown your way. Yep. And I'm so grateful to God that you have crossed my path. I know. The, the, oh my that God. We have shared work <laughs> to do and to look across the borough and know you're over there, also everywhere, teaching, making beauty, making art, um, as I would say playfully, making love yes. everywhere, making love everywhere. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you, Jackie, for also creating this space that allows people like me and others to feel as though we can be a part of something 
as big as it is. And, um, you know, and just the fact that there's a group, a reparations group at middle and that are trying, you know, to come up with a, a, you know, sort of like a path forward, you know, but for middle, you know, to show like what they can do, you know, not just for the history that the church in which it's in, you know, it was, was, was dealt, but also like how you can use its position, you know, to sort of like show other faith communities, like how we can actually deal with this in a loving way. I just, you know, that's like, I don't know too many other folks that are doing that. Um, but that's just one small example of how you use your position in a way that I feel is so Jesus-like that is you're showing just how much you love God and how much you love your neighbor by making sure that we feel empowered to do things like that. Thank you for that, my love. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day and another hard conversation you need to have. May it flow with truth and grace. <laughs> Thank you. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Take good care. Take right. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Love Period. As I reflect on my conversation with Majora, I'm deeply moved by her humility and her passion. I mean, this is a super gifted woman who understands that if we leave our gifts in our neighborhood, we could make a better world every place we live. Let's go and do that. Hope to be with you again soon here at Love Period.